This is a Vault Studios production. I'm Reed Redmond. I'm Spencer Brudig. I'm Will Johnson. This show contains graphic material and is meant for mature audiences. This week on True Crime Chronicles. Neighbors living off Still Meadow Court heard a woman screaming around 8 that night. Had a female alive state she believes someone shot her. Police won't say exactly how she was killed, only that she didn't have any visible wounds to her body. They say she wasn't stabbed, shot, or hit with an object. The first attack happened in December of 2016, when 35-year-old Ellie Tran was leaving work. So she worked at a nail salon in Virginia Beach. And apparently, um, what I've learned in court is a few weeks before um, Valentine's Day, somebody threw acid on her while she was leaving her job at the nail salon. Ellie Weatherton has covered Ellie Tran's story for WVEC in Norfolk, Virginia. She says Ellie didn't get a good look at the person who attacked her, though she did think it was a man. Williamsburg Yorktown Daily reported that friends of Ellie's said they believed the attacker was dressed in women's clothing and wearing a wig in an effort to disguise himself. They also said Ellie turned her face when she realized something was happening. But the substance, whatever it was, burned her hair and she was taken to the hospital. Although the physical injuries would prove to be minor, the attack apparently caused Ellie to question her own safety and the safety of her daughter and her parents who lived with her at her home. Ellie ended up putting surveillance cameras up um, all around the front of the home. I think she kind of knew something was going to happen, something was suspicious was going on with her after she was attacked basically with acid. Those cameras she installed after the first attack would be rolling on the evening of the second attack. February 14th, 2017, Valentine's Day. On the night of Valentine's Day, um, she came home from work, I believe, and when she was walking into her front door, there was, it it was kind of like around the corner kind of um, entryway, and there was bushes on the, there was like three bushes in front of her front door, Um, and She was walking in, and you see a man come running and put something on her, um, on her butt. And all of a sudden, you just see her jumping up and down. And this is all captured on surveillance video that came from her house. Ellie Tran had moved to the United States from Vietnam several years before that fateful Valentine's Day in 2017. And it was just a couple years earlier that she'd had a daughter with a man named Joseph Merlino, a man with whom she had a rocky relationship. Joseph Merlino met her, I believe, online. Um, And then she was brought here to the United States to live. And uh, they were married. They ended up having a baby girl. um, And... I think eventually, you know, the relationship didn't end up working out and they split. I don't believe they were ever divorced. I believe they just lived separately. Um, She ended up living in a house um, over in the Princess Anne area of Virginia Beach. And um, he lived on on the other side of town. Um, And she ended up bringing her mom and dad to Virginia Beach as well to kind of help her with the baby while she worked at the nail salon. So on that Valentine's Day evening, 
It's Ellie's mother who would be the first to hear Ellie screaming outside as their security cameras captured a man running up to Ellie and appearing to inject her with something. You see her mother run out. By that time, the person who did this has long gone. Um, the mother tries to call 911, but she um, doesn't speak English very well, so they're having a hard time understanding her. At this point, without having seen the security footage yet, Ellie's mother has no idea what happened. And according to Ellie Weatherton, at first, she thinks Ellie's been shot. I have a female alive states she believes someone shot her. So Ellie's screaming in the background, call 911, you know, this is our address. She's not able to walk. We do have a language barrier. Neighbors living off Stillmeadow Court heard a woman screaming around 8 that night, but didn't think anything of it until police and EMS arrived. Eventually they brought somebody out on a gurney. They put him in the ambulance, and then I went back into the house. She was taken to the emergency room, and I believe she lived for about 24 hours, and she passed away. Friends of Ellie Tran say she was kind, sweet, and soft-spoken. She's adored by everybody who knows her. Like, she's, she's so beautiful, like, inside and out. Without warning... Life is turned upside down for Ellie's family and friends as they experience a loss no one should have to. A 35-year-old daughter, sister, and mother. Gone. Taken from them. Their whole life was Ellie and the little baby. And after, after that happened, there was no income coming in the house. And I remember them saying that they were having to foreclose on their home. Um, they had nowhere to go. And so that was a big challenge for them. I mean, they lost their daughter. They lost the mother of their, their granddaughter. In the days and even the weeks after Ellie Tran's death, it's still not clear what exactly it was that killed her. And that security footage of the attack, it left a lot of questions unanswered. The video surveillance um, showed a man in reflective clothing, and you see her... You see her screaming, she starts to run, um, he puts something on her, and then he runs, and then it's just like a flash. That's all you really see. Because he was wearing that reflective clothing, apparently attempting to obscure his appearance in front of the cameras, it would be difficult for investigators to identify Ellie's attacker based on that footage alone. But as they start to interview her family and friends, one name keeps coming up. Ellie's estranged husband, Joseph Merlino. Family members definitely knew something was going on. And so I believe what happened is they kind of hinted police onto him. And then I do remember the next day, um, police searched his home and found a bunch of crazy stuff. On Thursday morning, police blocked off Nemo Parkway to search Marlino's home in the Red Mill Farms community. Detectives are being tight-lipped about what they found, but neighbors say they had to evacuate their homes early this morning because police told them hazardous materials were inside. Neighbors say Marlino's lived there alone after his dad died several years ago. And after that, he's always kept to himself. I remember the bomb squad was called in. All of these people were called in and then he was eventually arrested. 29-year-old Joseph Merlino allegedly killed his wife Ellie Tran on Valentine's Day. Joseph Merlino is accused of killing his estranged wife Ellie Tran. Merlino is charged with second-degree murder and is being held in Virginia Beach without bond. But even as investigators believe they've figured out who did this, they still don't know why and maybe an even bigger question is how. 
Police won't say exactly how she was killed, only that she didn't have any visible wounds to her body. They say she wasn't stabbed, shot, or hit with an object. But a friend of Tran's who started a GoFundMe page for the family said that Tran was poisoned. My mom went to the hospital, and um, that's the information she got from the Police would not confirm that Tran was poisoned, and the medical examiner is waiting for the toxicology results to release the cause of death. It would be months before that information would be made public. But what the medical examiner would eventually reveal is that Ellie had been poisoned. She'd been injected with cyanide. Yeah, we learned that she was uh, killed. She had cyanide poisoning. Um, and the Commonwealth said she basically died a slow and painful death. That's something I'll never forget. He said her her body, her organs, everything just basically shut down. Um, and they said that's like the most cruel way to die. Joseph Merlino was denied bond. And while awaiting trial in the fall of 2017, his second-degree murder charge would be upgraded to a charge of first-degree murder. Then in the spring of 2018, as his trial date approaches... Merlino stops eating. For a while, he went on a hunger strike in jail. Um, they thought he was going to die. Um, he he wouldn't eat at all. They would give him Gatorade uh, for electrolytes, and he wouldn't drink it. 40 pounds lighter. You can see the difference here in Joseph Merlino from last year to today. A thinner figure, more gaunt face. The Virginia Beach Sheriff's Office says he's going on two months of declining solid food. All he's consuming is Gatorade. So the Sheriff's Office wanted a judge to rule on whether he should be force-fed. That hearing was continued, though, which means the strike will most likely go on. Merlino's first-degree murder trial is next week. His public defender wanted the trial pushed back, mainly because of his client's physical condition. In court, we heard that Merlino is not eating because of paranoia in the jail. Deputies took the stand, though, saying Merlino has been joking about his health and the strike. Tran's sister from Vietnam took the stand, saying a continuance would be heartbreaking, the judge ultimately deciding things will stay as planned. This hunger strike would continue for a total of 79 days, stretching into the trial, which would begin in June of 2018. You know, sometimes you sit in, in cases and you're like, oh, this is so boring. Every day was a new twist, was a new turn. There was something interesting every minute of that trial. Those twists and turns began right away as the Commonwealth started to call witnesses. Prosecutors called today's witnesses the heart of their case. We heard from a computer forensic examiner who testified he reviewed the hard drive on what's believed to be Marlino's device. On it, the examiner says Google searches asking what if cyanide gets in the bloodstream and how many milligrams of cyanide will kill you. Another key witness is Jeannie Anderson with the FBI. She decodes encrypted messages. During Merlino's jail stay, he wrote unreadable notes to his mom and girlfriend. Jail staff intercepted the messages and gave them to Anderson. She read some of the letters out loud after deciphering them. She says the messages showed Merlino wanted to create fake evidence and alibi and persuade witnesses. Another member of the FBI cellular analysis team testified that Merlino's phone was in the Victoria, Virginia 
Pennsylvania area from February 13th to the 15th. He says someone used the phone on the 13th, but it wasn't used again for 22 hours after that. Another witness called by the prosecution was a woman from New Hampshire who sold items on the online marketplace Etsy. The woman testified that in late January of 2017, she sold a vintage hypodermic needle for $68 and shipped it to a pizza shop, where according to prosecutors, Merlino then picked it up. She thought that was extremely strange that he, I guess he asked certain questions um, about the, the needle before purchasing it. Um, but she said that he is the one that, that bought this hypodermic needle. And it was unique, it was rare, um, and the prosecutors uh, or Commonwealth said that that is what he used. Um, to put the, he put the cyanide in there. Apparently it was shipped to like a pizza shop in Virginia Beach and he was like sitting at that pizza shop. Uh, the pizza shop owners testified that he would like sit there all the time and they didn't know why. They just thought he was like a regular customer. Well, it turns out that the Commonwealth proved that he was, he was shipping packages there and picking them up. On day four of the trial, the Commonwealth called its last witness a doctor at the University of Virginia. The doctor talked about the report he looked at that had to do with Ellie Tran's medical records. He says Tran had a high dose of cyanide injected in her body. He also says he believes she had a very painful death. He says they actually used to use cyanide back in the day for capital punishment. Now that was the Commonwealth's last witness. Among the witnesses called by the defense were Joseph Merlino's brother and Joseph Merlino himself who both denied the charges against Merlino and claimed he was at the brother's home in Victoria, Virginia, over 100 miles away from Ellie Tran's home in Virginia Beach. It's a story that the Commonwealth was eager to pick apart and poke holes into. The Commonwealth was basically like, you killed her and then you drove up to, you know, Victoria, Virginia to hide your story. On June 22nd, 2018... Both sides presented their closing arguments. The defense said Merlino was not in Virginia Beach all day of Ellie Tran's murder on February 14th in 2017. Merlino's attorneys say there just wasn't enough evidence to tie him to the case, but um, and that he had a car issues while he was in Victoria, Virginia, visiting family. Now, the Commonwealth argued all along that he could have traveled back to Virginia Beach. The prosecution believes Merlino knew about the security camera being there the night of of Ellie Tran's attack and that he wore a reflective vest so it would throw off the glare of the cameras. Now, the Commonwealth says there was enough evidence to prove he was the one that did that to Ellie Tran that night. The jury reached its verdict after about 90 minutes of deliberation. That breaking news out of Virginia Beach, a jury just found Joseph Berlino guilty of first-degree murder. The jury saying there is sufficient evidence he killed his ex-girlfriend with cyanide on Valentine's Day. Reporter Allie Weatherton just got out of the courtroom. Regina, that verdict just came down in the last five minutes or so. Joseph Molino, guilty of first-degree murder. He stood there, didn't act really like anything bothered him, just stood there and looked at the judge. Now, his family was actually in the courtroom all day. They left about an hour ago, so they were not here when the verdict was read. But who was here was Ellie Tran's family. Obviously, they were very emotional in court, saying they are happy that they finally got justice. I just remember everybody crying. Um, Ellie's family was just so emotional, overwhelmed. Months later, at Merlino's sentencing hearing, 
Ellie's sister was given the chance to address the court. The sister, the sister of Ellie talked just about how their life is forever changed and how um, Ellie's daughter will never know her father because he's going to be in prison for the rest of her, his life. And then uh, Ellie is obviously no longer here, so she has no, no parents. And uh, Ellie's sister just said that she's going to do everything she can for Ellie's daughter and um, to let her know who her mom was. Joseph Merlino was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. For True Crime Chronicles, I'm Will Johnson. Here with Spencer Brudig and Reed Redman. Reed, thanks for bringing us the story this week. I know we have a, a few things to get to. One question I have, there's a news report mentioning cyanide being used in executions in the U.S. not so long ago, right? Yeah, well, we heard that in one of the news clips earlier in the episode from WVC's reporting on this case. And it's something that I didn't know, but usually when people talk about the gas chamber being used as a method of execution in the United States, what they're talking about is the use of hydrogen cyanide gas. They'll drop pellets of potassium cyanide, which is a solid form of cyanide, into sulfuric acid, and then it slowly fills the room up with poison. And it was used pretty regularly in the early to mid-1900s. And then it was even used 11 times between 1979 and 1999. And after hearing a lot of the testimony in this murder case about just how painful it is to die from cyanide injection, it was surprising, at least for me, to learn that the United States was still using hydrogen cyanide gas as a means to execute inmates as recently as 1999. That's not that long ago. Reed, also, I, I want to ask, too, about, like, where did this cyanide come from? Where do people think that he might have gotten it? And were investigators worried about there potentially being hazards at his house when they looked through his house and his belongings? You know, Spencer, I think that's still my biggest question related to this case is where the cyanide actually came from. And I'm not sure it's a question that anyone other than potentially Merlino knows the answer to. Uh, but my understanding is that cyanide in sort of a, a ready-made form, a form that you could use to harm somebody, would be incredibly difficult and, of course, highly illegal to obtain, but that there are ways that, with enough scientific knowledge, it could be synthesized at home. Again, we're not sure that that's what happened, but based on you know what I was able to, to find in my research, it is possible to do that. As far as what investigators found when they conducted search warrants of Joseph Merlino's residence, and they also conducted a search warrant at his business, we heard that the bomb squad was called and it wasn't initially clear why that was. We would learn at trial that that was because there were chemicals found when they did those searches that could be used to make explosives. I don't know specifically what those chemicals were, but of course it was enough that they decided to call the bomb squad in that there was you know, some concern for safety in conducting those search warrants. Reed, uh, this happened on Valentine's Day, right? Was that it would, any, anything to that? I mean, you might assume that there, there was. I think that is the assumption or at least the narrative that the Commonwealth built at trial is that he chose this particular day because of the symbolism of the day. And um, as they laid out at trial, there was a lot of planning that went into this. There was internet research. There was ordering that syringe on Etsy. There was, you know, all these steps that were taken leading up to that Valentine's Day. And, and so... It would seem, based on all of that at least, that there was some intention behind carrying this out on Valentine's Day, on February 14th. 
Reed, I know that you touched on this in the episode, but I want to kind of talk a little bit more about the coded letters. Do you have any more information on on what those were and and how difficult were they to actually break? Yeah, I was really curious about that too. And I asked Ali Weatherton, you know, is this like a, like a pig Latin or something that we would come up with as kids and and that'd be easy to break? And basically, what she said was. No, there was. It wasn't clear that they were ever going to be able to break this code. It was a really difficult code to break, and that's where she mentioned it. Actually, took an FBI code breaker who was finally able to crack it and figure out what was in them. And and as we heard, it was some pretty incriminating stuff. All right, Reed. Thanks once again for bringing us the story this week, and also thanks to Allie Weatherton at WVEC in Norfolk, Virginia. Spencer, uh, the Facebook group grows every week. It sure does. We're at 5,900 members. We're getting about 50 new additions uh, a day. So uh, we hope to see you inside the Crime Vault on Facebook. All right. We have a, uh, a new podcast out from Vault Studios. It's called Beyond Bardstown Look Home. Look for it. Subscribe to it. Listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts and read also a new daily show. Yeah, we've uh, been doing our daily show called The Daily Crime for a couple months now. We have a new episode Every day of the week, you can uh, check it out by searching for The Daily Crime. All right, Reed Spencer, we'll talk to you next week. We will be back next week with a new case and a new story.